grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It was back in February, February 26th to be exact, that we announced here at Peace, what somewhat uh, sheepishly we said at the time, I might add, that we are implementing our first official act of social distancing. You would not be shaking your hands at the door, we said, when you exit the Ash Wednesday service that fateful evening. Ironically, about 40 minutes prior to announcing that, both Pastor Rob and I were well within six feet of each of you, more like within six inches when we touched your foreheads and spoke straight into each of your faces these words that accompanied the ashen crosses we applied with the sign of the cross, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember that? My, what a difference a month makes. That was the beginning of a Lent we shall never forget. Who knew we would be giving up Lent or church for Lent? At least church as we knew it, thank God for technology. Who knew that that small, almost symbolic gesture of foregoing the friendly handshake would give way to the draconian measures we now read about in our news feeds every day? I hear in Denver, still in effect at least until April 10th, you can be fined up to $999 if caught outside your home doing anything not on the pre-approved errand list. You may even be charged criminally. But this is not just a problem in our country, is it? As you know, this is global. And in Russia, a woman was charged criminally for, quote, negligence and concealment of information that endangers the life or health of people, unquote. This was when she failed to declare her recent return from vacation in Spain after re-entering Russia. As it turns out, the CNN report reveals that the woman was, of all things, a professor and a top infectious disease specialist at the Stavropol Medical Institute. As a result, the regional governor had to launch an investigation into the possible 1,200 people the suspect may have been in contact with in those few days lecturing after her return. And yes, the woman thus charged was diagnosed positive for COVID-19. This virus, as has been pointed out, is no respecter of persons, is it? One news anchor I heard described it saying, it's the great equalizer. And we've seen how even people young and old um, have all been affected. Especially surprising are the young who at one time imagined that they were immune to it. They themselves now have suffered from it, and some of our young have even died from it. Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of Great Britain at the time of this sermon, is presently in intensive care battling this coronavirus. It is indeed a great equalizer. But that is what theologians have been calling sin for centuries. Sin, our rebellious opposition to our Creator, this disease of corruption and evil infecting every human heart. This sin is the great equalizer. The Bible describes sin in much the same way we've been hearing about this virus. 
witness St. Paul's testimony concerning sin's origin and its spread as he writes to the Christians in Rome. When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. Sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, before sin was labeled as an explicit violation of God's will. Yet death reigned as king from Adam to Moses, even though they hadn't broken a command the way Adam had. That's Romans 5, 12 through 14 in the Passion Translation. Death comes to everyone who has ever taken their first breath. Death reigned as king, the translation says. There is another translation about a king that we talk about on Good Friday. This translation was given in three languages as written by the first century Roman governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. In Aramaic, Latin, and Greek for all the world to read and understand, the sign posted above our Lord's head on his cross, said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The Jews objected to what was written there, and right they should have, but not for the reasons given. They thought the sign said too much, for they rejected this Jesus of Nazareth as their king and as their Messiah. He's not our king, said they. He only said he was our king. But the sign really said too little that day. It should have read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of kings and Lord of lords. And it should have been written, not in just three languages, but in every language known to man. For here, lifted up and glorified, is the new king who reigns at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Only on that good Friday... It sure didn't seem like Jesus was reigning at all, did it? Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. It looked like even here, it was death, not Jesus, still reigning on its throne. Now from Moses to Christ on that cross. It was understandable, therefore, though not justifiable, that the Jews would reject the king who was so easy to kill, so weak, in stark contrast to the intrusive might of Rome, whose permission the nation of Israel needed to execute this one who was, in their eyes, a criminal. How in the world could a transient son of a carpenter qualify as our king and savior from Rome's oppression, the Jewish leaders thought. But this was no mere son of a carpenter, The Roman soldier there on Golgotha that day said it himself, truly, this was the Son of God. What accounts for this dramatic difference in perception on Good Friday? How could some people look at the cross and see a common criminal, and yet others see on Calvary's tree the Son of God, who became the Son of Man in order that he could die for man, and establish a new kingdom where he reigns as king of kings. How can you explain seeing those two radically different things? Let's go back to what St. Paul reveals in Romans 5, 
as he explains what exactly Christ the Messiah accomplished by his death that day on Golgotha. Says Paul, the first man, Adam, was a picture of the Messiah who was to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift, Paul continues, is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who will receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. I love that last word Paul employs there, that Christ's death on the cross was a triumph, a triumph over sin and death. Wow. But you ask, how? How could even Paul possibly be looking at the same bloody corpse on a Roman cross and declare it to be a triumph, of, a triumph of any kind. It's because Paul is looking at the cross through God's eyes. That's the difference in what you see there. And that's the perspective we want to be looking at it today with. You see, as we've gone through our Lenten series, the eyes have it. We've looked through the eyes of all the characters involved in Jesus' passion leading up to his death on the cross. That is, we've looked through the eyes of everybody involved except God's eyes. God gets the final word on the matter. Our creator, redeemer, and sustainer God, the triune God, has spoken on the matter from the beginning. He has laid out his plan of salvation from days of old. So he is not taken aback at the sight on Calvary. Rather, just as Jesus declared on the cross, it is accomplished. It is finished. What if? That which God revealed to the prophet Isaiah in detail, 700 years before Golgotha. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed For our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That's from Isaiah 53, which whole chapter was written beforehand about God's prophesied suffering servant. And before that, a thousand years before Christ, David prophesied about the crucifixion in Psalm 22. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And even before that, Christ's death on the cross was foreshadowed way back in the book of Genesis, 2,000 years before Christ, by another sacrifice of a father giving up his son, Abraham offering up Isaac on a makeshift altar that he built on Mount Moriah, the ancient name for Golgotha, 
one in the same hill. Only Abraham's hand was stayed by an intervening angel before killing his son. On Golgotha, no intervening hand would be there. It was the father's will to give up his son, to give him to the world as the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, our guilt, all our condemnation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken that day so that you and I would never be forsaken by God, so that we would never be left alone in the universe or in the midst of our trial today, in the midst of our pain, our suffering. Jesus, who has gone through the agony on the cross for us, goes with us through it all today. He who did not spare his own son, Paul again writes, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Continuing, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And you might as well throw in their COVID-19. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This week I saw on the news a very poignant video clip with which I conclude. It was of a very heroic doctor who's been bravely yet cautiously facing down the coronavirus in order to treat her infected patients without catching it and thus disqualifying herself from treating any more in need. She was pleading for more masks and gloves to keep all the medical professionals safe and operational. Here's how she describes her trial. Every day I go to work. I feel like a sheep going to slaughter. My colleagues and I are writing our last will and testament. I'm 28 years old. We fear that we may not survive this pandemic, and yet we show up every day to this hospital to take care of our community. Wow. Let me tell you, in heroes like this today, we learn that the virus is not the only thing that is contagious. True, Christ-like compassion is also contagious and spreading through the work of heroes like this Dr. Laura Yusick. Many, many more first responders can and should be named and hopefully will be in time. And the upshot of all this for us is because of Christ and all that he accomplished by leading his holy life, dying our death before God, we too are free to live courageously for him now. We're free to get into the battle today and against whatever tomorrow may bring. We're free to share this loving message of hope with the world. He's got you. He won't let go of you any more than he would come down off of that cross. Good Friday is the ultimate good for you and me and for the entire world. 
And this is only the beginning of a beautiful relationship. And all that the King of Kings has in store for you. Stay tuned for Sunday. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Amen.